This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised. I looked and saw that it was a woman's hand with red nail polish on the doorknob. Whoever was there slowly closed the door just as they had opened it, without entering the room. I jumped out of bed. Maybe a minute or so into my shower, I heard some soft footsteps outside the door. And like a scene from a freaking horror movie, I saw the door handle slowly being pushed down. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you two true horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will horrify and terrify. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show hearing from Reddit user HeartX3Jess, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin and we realize it's not who we think. My boyfriend, who I live with, works as a teacher in a town about 15 minutes away by train. He gets home more or less at the same time every day, give or take an hour or so. I, on the other hand, work from home. In late January of this year, we'd gotten in a pretty big fight about something stupid. I can't even remember what it was about now. But it was one of those fights where we didn't speak to each other, text, call, or anything the whole next day. So this afternoon, I was lying in bed getting work done. It was a Tuesday, and I was pretty sure his last class finished at 1 p.m. on Tuesdays, meaning he'd surely be home at 2.30. But around 1 p.m., I heard the front door open and shut. I thought, huh, I guess he's home an hour early today. It was normal for him to skip his last class every once in a while, so I didn't really think anything of it. In fact, I was mostly mentally preparing for the awkward post-fight, hey, how's it going, conversation. So I continued to lie in bed and do my work and wait for him to come in and change his clothes. The bedroom door was closed and I had earplugs sort of half in, as I usually do when I'm working. But I could hear the heavy footsteps of him walking around the apartment, as he always does. If we hadn't been mid-fight, and I wasn't so preoccupied with the awkwardness of it all, I might have noticed it was strange how slow the footsteps were, or how long he spent walking around the living room. But I was caught up in the dramatics of the fight and didn't think about it. I was just lying there waiting, waiting, waiting for him to finally come in. Finally, the bedroom door slowly opened just a few inches. I turned my head towards the door and prepared to give him a sort of awkward, we've been fighting for 24 hours, huh, smile. But the door didn't open more than a few inches. I looked and saw that it was a woman's hand with red nail polish on the doorknob. Whoever was there slowly closed the door just as they had opened it, without entering the room. I jumped out of bed, ripped out my earplugs, and sort of froze there for a few seconds while thinking rapidly. 
my first thought, that was not my boyfriend. Then I thought, could that have been his mom? His sister? The landlady? For some reason, I concluded that surely it was his mom or sister. So I opened the bedroom door and walked into the living room. There wasn't anyone there, but the room smelled heavily of a woman's perfume. Then I came to my senses and realized his mom and sister don't have keys and have never come over before. The landlady has never entered without permission. This was a stranger. I ran back into the bedroom and shut the door, now shaking heavily. There is a balcony connected to the bedrooms, so despite the cold January rain, I stood on the balcony and called my boyfriend. He picked up and I asked him if his mom or sister would come over unannounced. He told me, no, don't move, I'm calling the police. The police were there in minutes and searched the whole apartment. Of course, nobody was there by this point. It was weird, though. Nothing was missing from the apartment, despite us keeping a jar full of money right in the entrance. Nothing was even touched. In fact, it seemed like the intruder came straight to the bedroom, saw my legs on the bed, panicked, and left. Plus, you can't open that big wooden front door without a key. For a few days, my boyfriend and I were convinced it was just the landlady being nosy. I began to feel better. Nevertheless, we demanded that the landlady change our locks. When she came to change them with her husband, she made a discovery. There was a square area by the keyhole that had been scratched away with something. The landlady said surely someone used tools to break into the apartment. Then, a day or two later, my boyfriend told me, I have to tell you something, but don't freak out. He told me that the orange kitchen scissors were missing. I obviously freaked out. I tore the apartment apart looking for those scissors. It's been six months and those scissors are gone. So the whole thing is just creepy and weird. A stranger breaks into a nice apartment but doesn't touch or take anything valuable, not even the money jar sitting right in the entrance. Takes scissors from the kitchen, goes straight to the bedroom, sees someone in bed and immediately leaves. I never got to meet the person who opened the door that day. I hope I never do. Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app. Up next is a listener voicemail from Emmanuel, and she details an experience with a popular toy. So before I start my story, I just wanted to mention the fact that I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I think it's a great concept that you let people tell their own stories. I think it's great. It's really entertaining. I grew up in a very small town um, named Alexandria in Ontario, Canada. So my grandparents were farmers and they owned two different houses. They lived in one of them and the other one was empty, but it wasn't abandoned. Like it was still kept in good shape. Like they owned the land and the house and they still took care of it, even though no one actually lived there. So that house was pretty isolated from the rest of the town. It was in a dead-end road, um, surrounded by a forest, no like close neighbors. 
So that house actually was previously owned by my grandfather's parents. So it was his childhood home. He and his eight brothers and sisters grew up there. Back in the day, one early morning, bad electric wiring caused a house fire in which my grandfather's nine-year-old younger brother unfortunately perished. But everyone else made it out safe and sound, mostly due to the fact that they were already up and working at the farm when the fire started. So yeah, farmers get up pretty early, so they were already out of the house by that time. They eventually destroyed the house because it was ravaged by the flames and rebuilt it at the same spot. And that's the one that's still standing today. So over the years, because of that tragedy, I've heard many family stories about the house and the land around it being haunted, either by my grandfather's little brother or by something else. So me being really into paranormal things and horror movies, I always believed in those stories. I believed that they were true and they were fascinating, even though they terrified me pretty damn much. So for the next part of the story, it's important that I tell you that my grandparents also owned a very small shack in the middle of the forest that surrounded the house. So it was like on the property. So our family had been using it as, as a sugar shack as long as I can remember. It's close to the public, like it's not a public sugar shack, it's just for a family. We would have uh, small, large gatherings there during springtime. My grandfather would, would always make maple syrup, taffy for everyone. So even though most of the time spent there was quite joyful, it always felt like there was something wrong about that place, like there was something off, there was a weird feeling about the whole property. So I don't remember how old exactly I was, but I know that I was pretty young. So we were having a family gathering at the sugar shack that day when I had this sudden urge to use the bathroom. So there was no bathroom at the sugar shack, like it's in the middle of the woods. So it was either like you go deeper in the woods and squat, or like you go to the house and use the bathroom in the house. So keep in mind that after hearing all the ghost stories, I was pretty terrified to go to the house alone or honestly to be anywhere on the property by myself. So unfortunately, no one wanted to come with me that day, so I had to go by myself. So at the time, I was a little bit less scared of the house because my uncle, aunt, and cousins lived there temporarily while their new house was under construction. So I felt like because someone lived there, it wasn't as scary looking, like it wasn't going to be as like eerie in there because it wasn't empty. So after a short walk, through the woods, I get to the house and I walk in the house and immediately get an eerie feeling. And I'm like, whatever, I'll just use the bathroom and leave. So I try to brush it off and head up to the stairs that lead up to the second floor. That's the only bathroom in the house. There's no other bathrooms. The only one is on the second floor. So I remember while heading there, seeing my younger cousins, Thomas the Train Toy in the living room, it was a pretty decent sized replica of the carton character and could move and make noises. And honestly, that thing gave me the creeps. Like I did not like Thomas the Train. I always thought it was really creepy. And I had and still have the biggest fear of trains, which did not really help at all. But I was like, no, it's just a toy. I felt uneasy, but still just went up to the bathroom. I was like, I'm gonna do my business and leave. So I sat down in the bathroom when I hear a strange noise coming from downstairs. So I'm like, kind of, I'm a little freaked out, but I'm like, maybe it's just my imagination. So at first it was like a knock, but then it intensified. It sounded like an object hitting the wall or banging into something. So I froze. I was almost too scared to move. 
But all I wanted in that moment was to be out of the house and back with my family at the shack because I was really creeped out. So the noise kept going for several seconds, then suddenly stopped. And then I built up the courage to make a run for it down the stairs when it resumed. So the banging resumed. And it was pretty loud at that point. I remember it being pretty, pretty loud. So I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm still gonna go down the stairs and leave. Like, I'll just run. I'll just make a run for it. Like, forget about it. Be back with my family in no time. So about halfway through the staircase, the noise stops again. So I'm like a little frustrated. I'm like, am I really, this is like all my imagination. Is it real? Is there actually something like making that noise? So I decide to pop my head in the living room to look because that's where the noise was coming from. So when I tell you that my entire body froze in fear, I am not exaggerating. That fucking Thomas the Train toy had moved several inches and was now facing the living room wall. So I stood there for about a minute in absolute denial. So like, I guess that would explain the noises I was hearing. Like, just picture it. So, you know, Thomas the Train's face, like, I don't know if you guys know what he looks like, but it was completely facing the wall of the living room. And when I got there, it was in the middle of the living room, like facing the other way. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? I was like trying to find a rational explanation. Like maybe there's the floors uneven, maybe the door is open, whatever. But I'm a child and honestly, all I sensed was fear at the time. Like I was like super creeped out. So I'm just trying to come back to my senses when the train started rolling backwards. That thing traveled several meters across the room at a very fast pace. And it was like someone had just given it a big push. Like that thing was rolling and it was rolling fast. So at that point, I'm absolutely freaked the fuck out. There's no trying to rationalize anything. And I just ran as fast as I could out the door and back to my family. So obviously I told them the story, but like no one believed me. I guess I can kind of understand because I was so young at the time. Even still now, people don't really believe it when I tell them that it's happened to me when I was a kid. But I guess people are more likely to believe an adult than a kid when it comes to those things. But the truth is, like, believe it or not, I did experience something scary as hell in that house as a child. And even to this day, I refuse to step foot in it or go anywhere near it alone. Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile device or computer. Something is creeping in, don't follow it down. Let me introduce you to Barry Clue, an authorised financial advisor from New Zealand and a very special kind of stain on humanity. He was a very uh, knowledgeable young guy. He was a registered financial advisor. type of guy that was bending over backwards to help you. Now you could be forgiven for thinking that Barry sounds like a great guy. And you'd be right. Well, right up until the point when you're wrong. It was all fictitious. You stole from my son who has a disability. Chris never knew. He died believing that we're all taken care of. A psychopath is somebody who lacks empathy, acts impulsively. I think there's a strong case that Barry might be all of those things, actually. 
To find out how Barry Clue stole over $15 million from 81 victims, subscribe to Clueless, the long con. That's Clueless, spelt K-L-O-O-G-H-L-E-S-S. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror. And finally, we close out the show hearing from Reddit user Who Knows 13492 Introducing our newest storyteller, Kiana Bashful Echo, and we experience the worst 12 hours of our lives. Trigger warning, this story has mention of sexual assault. I've been meaning to post this here for a while. Wrote my first draft back in April, so it's taken a long time and a lot of therapy for me to be able to think about this experience. I've noticed how many people's stories take place over weeks, months, even years. So I'm here to tell you mine. 12 hours of my life. I managed to block out a lot of memories surrounding this night. But early this year I was mugged and my PTSD returned, as did a lot of the missing memories of those 12 hours. This is the first time I'm telling anyone the full story of what happened to me. I haven't told my partner, my therapist, my parents. No one knows the details. If there is anything that should be taken away from my story, it's this. Remember that you don't need to be polite to everyone you meet. In October 2018, I was age 18 in my first year at university in a big city in the UK. I had always lived in the countryside before this, so I was never very street smart. About a year before I went to uni, I had started in a relationship with this guy, Jimmy, now my ex. It was my first real relationship, and I thought the world of him, but it was not reciprocated in a loving and compassionate way. Jimmy started off as very emotionally abusive and got progressively worse, but that's a whole other story. At this point, Jimmy and I had been together just under a year and had applied to universities in the same city, mostly by coincidence and both moved to the same city, 
I wanted to have a proper student life, so I got accommodation in a student block on the other side of the city to him. Jimmy had been using drugs for quite a while, initially starting off just smoking weed, but this progressed rapidly, and by the time we were at uni, he was regularly doing a lot of hard drugs, plus smoking weed multiple times a day. Honestly, I don't think he was ever not high. When we moved to university, we still saw each other every couple of days, and he found a regular drug dealer, Mark, that he had been using continually since we got there in September. Jimmy used to buy from Mark multiple times a week, so on a handful of occasions, I had briefly met him. Mark lived a lot closer to my student accommodation than to Jimmy's, so a couple of weeks before this all happened, Jimmy had started picking up drugs from Mark when he came to see me meaning Mark would often be outside my accommodation. Jimmy had asked me a few times if I would pick up the drugs he bought from Mark, but I always felt weird speaking to Mark on my own. Plus, I rarely smoked weed, so it felt very weird picking up drugs in general. 6 p.m. One day, at the end of October, Jimmy had plans to come and see me that evening, and asked me again if I would pick up some weed from Mark. I was in a good mood that day and felt more confident than usual, so for the first time, I agreed to. Jimmy gave me Mark's number and said that Mark would message me when he was on his way. Only around 10 minutes later, I got a message from Mark saying he was nearly outside my apartment and I needed to go outside. So I did. Outside of my accommodation, there was a quieter area with a lot of benches, so I sat and waited for him. Behind me was only a wall and a small contained area that had all of the bins for the building. Out of nowhere, I felt someone's hands on my shoulders in a really weird, creepy way. I jumped, obviously, and realized it was Mark, who I barely recognized as I had only briefly seen him a couple of times. I realized now that my back had been to the wall in the bin storage, so he must have been waiting there. I was immediately on guard because of how he touched my shoulders, especially because I didn't know him, so I shifted away from him as he sat down next to me. He began talking to me as if we were buddies, asking me a million and one questions about myself, like deeply personal questions. The whole time I was deflecting, not wanting to give out any information, so started asking him questions instead. He began a really deep monologue about himself and his life, where he openly told me he had just gotten out of prison a few months before. It was for armed something, some kind of violent crime. I engaged his ramblings, just nodding along, but still trying to get back to the whole point of just picking up the drugs for my boyfriend. 7 p.m. I have always been able to talk to anyone and was always taught to be nice when someone is talking, so I ended up sitting there for around an hour trying to get the conversation back to the reason I was there. Pick up drugs for my boyfriend and go. It was so long it actually started getting dark. This guy just kept talking. I knew my boyfriend was going to be coming over soon, so I kept looking at my phone to see if he was on his way, but he hadn't replied. Eventually, I told Mark that I needed to get back inside as I was meeting up with my boyfriend soon and then going clubbing after with some friends, so I needed to get ready, and could I please just pick up the drugs? He then said, Oh, well, I can't give them to you here. There's CCTV everywhere. We can go inside so that I can give them to you. I had witnessed him giving my boyfriend drugs in the same spot countless times before, so I knew this was bullshit. I didn't want Mark to come back to my apartment, so I told him that he could go into the lobby of my building where there was a disabled bathroom and he could give them to me there. He agreed and followed me inside. We went into the bathroom. It was a very large room, so I didn't have to be too close to him. And he locked the door behind us. He then began fiddling with something in his pocket. I assumed the drugs. 
but then pulled down his trousers, fully, and started peeing in the toilet. I was hugely freaked out. This guy just presented his dick to me and began peeing. But I rationalized that there was no way he had any sexual motive because he had met me and my boyfriend together, so knew I was in a relationship. I figured he just really needed to pee. I had kept my eyes shut the whole time, and when he flushed, I thought that finally he would give me the drugs that I was there to collect. This whole thing had been going on for about an hour and a half by this point. He said, I really want to roll myself a joint, but there's no space in here to do it. Can I come and roll it on your desk and then I'll give you the Jimmy's stuff? I asked again if he could just give it to me now, and he said no, saying that I was being rude for not inviting him in. By this point, I was wanting to get ready to go out with my friends later that evening and knew my boyfriend would be coming by any minute. So I figured it'd be okay, even though I didn't want this. It's worth noting that I was emotionally abused by my boyfriend and knew he would be mad at me if I didn't collect his drugs or if I annoyed Mark because he was his favorite dealer. I honestly figured that Mark was harmless, despite him telling me he was a violent criminal, fuck my life and just assured myself that he was only a bit creepy. It would be fine. 8 p.m. Reluctantly, I took Mark up to my apartment, opened the door, and let him in. I said he had to roll his joint fast because I had to get ready. Finally, he gave me the drugs that my boyfriend wanted, so I felt better at that point. He walked over to my desk, moved all my things to the side, and sat down, getting out the things to roll his joint. I cannot roll a joint, but I've seen Jimmy do it countless times, so I know it doesn't take more than a minute or so. Mark keeps trying to talk to me, but at this point my answers are getting shorter and shorter. He rolls this joint so slowly, I cannot even describe it. He then said, Well, I can't smoke this outside, so is it cool if I just stay here and smoke it? It'll only take five minutes to smoke. I said no and told him again that I had to get ready. He replied, It's okay, you can get ready with me here. By this point, I was over it, messaging my boyfriend again to tell him to hurry up. Mark asked me again in my frustration and wanting this guy out of my apartment, I just said, Okay, sure, but be quick. I then went out of my room and into the shared kitchen. I only had two flatmates and no one else was in the apartment that night, grabbed some wine and a glass so that I could have some solitary pre-drinks and returned to my room. I sat for another 15 minutes, being increasingly less polite, but he kept talking to me. I drank my first glass of wine pretty fast and just decided if Mark was going to take ages, then I would just get ready to go out with my friends. I told him that as soon as he finished smoking, he could just leave on his own. So I left him sat at my desk, took some clothes into the bathroom, and jumped into the shower. 9 p.m. Maybe a minute or so into my shower, I heard some soft footsteps outside the door. And like a scene from a freaking horror movie, I saw the door handle slowly being pushed down. Thank fuck I remembered to lock the door. All of a sudden, Mark began banging on the door. I turned the shower off and just said, Hi? Through the door. He shouted through the door, asking me to let him in because he needed to pee again. I obviously said no and just got dried and dressed. Thankfully, I took clothes to the bathroom as fast as I could. By this point, I figured there was no way he was going to leave the apartment until I did, so I did my makeup as fast as I physically could and messaged my friends that I'd be coming to theirs sooner than I had planned. I still hadn't gotten a reply from my boyfriend, so I just told him that I was going out early and not to come over. I got ready to go and told Mark that I was leaving now, and he needed to come downstairs with me. 
He was still sat at my desk and ignoring what I was saying. He asked if he could stay in my room while I was out because he was tired and wanted a nap. Finally, I was firm with him and after a lot of convincing, he left with me. I made sure to order an Uber to my friend's place so that he couldn't try to walk with me and by the time we got outside, my Uber was nearly there. He stood with me, looking over my shoulder at my phone the whole time. Then the Uber arrived. I got into it and Mark straight up walked around the other side and got in. I was in disbelief and laughed, then told the Uber driver that I didn't know who this guy was and that he wasn't getting in with me. The Uber driver was not as polite as me and told Mark to get out, and he did. 10 p.m. I sat there on the way to my friend's house and finally felt calm that I had gotten away from Mark. I called my friend from the Uber and told her what happened, so she said she would come outside of her building to get me with a group of her flatmates. My friend's accommodation was not far from mine and took longer to get to by car than on foot because of the one-way system in the city, but I didn't care at this point. Maybe 10-15 minutes later I arrived and my friend came over to my Uber, then brought me back to her group of friends. She had quite a few people with her, and I suddenly noticed that one of her male flatmates was talking to someone slightly away from the group. I looked over and suddenly realized he was talking to Mark. I guess he was looking at the address when I had the Uber app open earlier. I whispered to my friend and she freaked out and went inside with me straight away. I was super freaked out that this guy wouldn't just leave me alone. He refused to leave my side for the last few hours and now he had followed me to my friend's house? Honestly, I felt much safer now and met a few creeps in my time, so just decided to get over it by having a nice time with my friend. So we sat in her kitchen having a chat and some drinks. 11 p.m. After a while talking to her, I almost forgot what had happened just an hour ago and was getting increasingly tipsy from the wine. The kitchen door opened and her male flatmate comes inside, announcing he invited a guy in who had given him some free weed. You guessed it. Mark walked in. Mark addressed me my name and walked over, putting his hands around my waist from behind. I get pretty confident when I drink, so I had no problem pushing him off and announcing to everyone in a jokey way, yeah, this is the guy who has been following me around all evening. I don't know him. Even in this room with all of my friend's flatmates, I still didn't feel safe. He stayed away from me, looking at me for a while from the other side of the kitchen, and I just ignored him. My friend could tell I was uncomfortable, so suggested we go drink in her room. Around 30 minutes after going into her room, the door slams open suddenly, and Mark is standing there. He says, Oh, I was looking for the bathroom. Can I use yours? My friend has an ensuite. She tells him to get the fuck out, and he does. I'm honestly just bored of this guy's constant presence at this point, so we decided just to go to the club early. 12 a.m. We grab our stuff, run past the kitchen door, and outside. My friend orders us an Uber, and we get in and go to the club. After a while, some of her flatmates join us, but Mark does not, thank fuck. The people who had been in the kitchen said that Mark left shortly after he saw me and my friend leave, but there was no sign of him now. I just try and enjoy the night, but being a poor student, I can't afford any more drinks at the club. As I begin to sober up, I realize how shaken up and creeped out the whole evening made me. And I don't feel safe. 2 AM. After only a couple of hours, I decide that I just want to go home and sleep because this whole experience freaked me the fuck out. I take an Uber back, use my keycard to get into my apartment building, go upstairs and into my apartment. 
I started getting ready for bed, put on some PJs, and started taking off my makeup. All of a sudden, I heard a loud knock on my door. I had no clue who it was, but since it was still early-ish for a Friday night, I thought my boyfriend maybe finally decided to show up. My door didn't have a peephole, so I walked to the door in my PJs, unlocked it, planning to open it a tiny bit to see who it was, and then BAM! The door flew open so fast I was pushed backwards into my apartment and then shoved into my room, which was directly across from the front door. In my panic, I froze and then looked up only to realize that Mark was now standing in my apartment. The realization started to sink in. Mark had just forced his way into my room and I was trapped here with him. He sat at my desk for the next four to five hours, talking at me continually, saying how I was so rude he needed someone to teach me some manners, how I had to do what he said because he was older than me, how Jimmy wasn't good enough for me, how I was so beautiful and how he knew I needed to be with him. He told me that his girlfriend knew that he had been at my house that evening and now she said he can't go home and it was all my fault. The whole time I continued bargaining with him, trying to get him to leave, but it didn't work. Occasionally, I would just lie down on my bed or sit and not speak. Each time I did, he would get up and wrap his arms around me or try to spoon me, stroking my face, trying to kiss me, and trying to take my clothes off and touch me. Every time I fought him off and he would get angry again and go and sit at the desk and keep shouting. I knew that this guy had previously been in prison for some kind of violent crime, so I did not want to piss him off. I just sat there for hours and quietly sobbed, too scared of trying to leave because I would have had to walk past him to get to the door. I was out of options. I didn't know if I could get out without angering him. I couldn't call the police because he had my phone. My flatmates weren't in, so my screams meant nothing. 6 a.m. While he was sat at my desk, he kept smoking more weed and taking a line of whatever drug, so was becoming more and more out of it. He was becoming more sleepy as he smoked more weed until I was able to speak between his ramblings, so I gently said I was going to the bathroom. I noticed he had his eyes partially closed and figured I only had one chance, so I took the opportunity and grabbed my phone off the desk as fast as I could, unlocked the door, and ran out of the apartment. The one thing I will always remember is being in tears, pressing the button for the elevator to come probably 50 times because I was so scared he was going to come after me. As I got into the elevator, I heard him come out of my apartment, shouting my name, but the elevator doors closed as he looked at me. I was able to get downstairs and out the building. I ran around the corner of the building in my PJs and manically dialed the number for the police, told them what happened and that this guy had been in prison until recently, and the next thing I knew, around five police cars showed up. I was in such a state, and I called my boyfriend to tell him what happened. He was still awake and hadn't come to visit the night before because he was with a girl, who is a friend, and said that now he didn't want to come to be with me because he had some weed on him and didn't want to be near the police. I told him to get to my place right now, and he reluctantly did. The Aftermath The police had to force entry to my apartment because Mark had locked himself in and barricaded the door. They arrested him and he ended up going to prison for drug charges but not for what he did or tried to do to me. The police said they couldn't prosecute him because I had willingly let him into my apartment earlier that night, and he hadn't physically done anything. Sexual assault and attempted rape, plus holding me hostage in my own apartment, but okay. After I had given my statements to the police, I went back inside to see that after I had escaped, my room was trashed. 
Mark had thrown things around and smashed things in his anger. I'm so glad I got out when I did because I can't imagine what would have happened if I was trapped in the crossfire. I don't know what happened to Mark after that, but I moved out of that apartment a couple of months later and away from that city as soon as I could when COVID hit to make sure Mark could never find me. I actually stayed in my abusive relationship for another year or so until I realized I was too good to put up with Jimmy's shit. I had such severe PTSD from the incident that I couldn't go outside for months after, which messed up the whole of my first year at university. It has taken until now for me to be able to walk around at night, and being alone in public is still really difficult. I'm well aware that the ending is very anticlimactic, and I wish I had been able to advocate for myself, but I just shut down emotionally afterwards. I can't get too much into the details of the sexual assault and attempted rape because honestly thinking about it makes me want to throw up. But I realize I was lucky to be able to fight him off every time, because without a doubt he wanted to hurt me. After this all happened, I started volunteering with people in prison for crimes like sexual assault to try and prevent them from ever reoffending. I think it is my way of advocating for others because I couldn't advocate for myself. If you take one thing away from this, stop being so polite. I was raised to be nice to everyone, and I realize now that being polite worsened everything. I wish I had never been polite enough to pick up drugs for my ex, or polite enough to let Mark into my apartment when he begged. So to Mark, fuck you. And please, let's not meet again. Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And a big time thanks to all of our newest supporters. Mitch Fraser, Megan Tompkins, Josette Hare, Tally, William McClendon, Simone York, Caitlin Cesario, Nia Glinzy, Wayne Butcher Jr., Megan, and Joey Freeberg. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBatAudio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.